1: The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, September 22nd, 2017 from Slate. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The thing about asymmetrical warfare is it puts the superpower in a bind. So when Donald Trump began calling Kim Jong-un Rocket Man, oh, that seemed like fun and games, but it did open up the U.S., To counterattack. Now, when the stage is nuclear, the US has most of the chits. We have overwhelming superiority. The North Koreans, at this point, probably can't even reach us with a missile. But when the weapons are words and the battleground is Twitter, all of that goes out the window. So by engaging in a war of words instead of, say, a war of war, or my choice, a non-war of diplomatic strategy, (laughs) right? But by doing that, Donald Trump evened the playing field. So now Kim responds, accusing the U.S. president of being a mentally deranged dotard. A dotard? Yes, a dotard. As Merriam-Webster's dictionary helpfully tweeted, dotard, a person in his or her dotage. In fact, you could be so far into your dotage, you don't even know if it's his or her. The Merriam-Webster's dictionary insouciant Twitter feed also helpfully added, Kim Jong-un calls Trump a mentally deranged U.S. dotard. Searches for dotard are high as a kite. Did you pick that up? The Rocketman callback?
0: And I'm gonna be high, high as a kite by
1: then. I'd have gone with Senectitude. It's senile, but also implies that your life is ending. So it's both an insult to your mental capacity and your vigor with the smattering of a promise of mortality. In fact, Kim, perhaps, didn't literally go with dotard. Well, he didn't literally go with it, but it didn't really go with what would be the Korean translation of dotard. It was more like, I might be getting that wrong. In fact, I definitely am. Here's MJ Lee. On CNN,
0: the uh, dotard translation is a little unfortunate because what Kim Jong-un actually said was nukdari michigwangi. Nukdari is like a derogatory term for an old person, a senile person. Michigwangi
1: is like a version of lunatic with a little bit of fool. Lunatic with a little bit of fool. Lunatic in the streets, fool in the tweets. No, I disagree with MJ Lee. I don't think it was an unfortunate choice of words at all. I think dotard elevates the discourse. I mean, what if all of Donald Trump's statements had to go through the Downton Abbey translator? Just about women's faces alone, we'd all be better off. He'd have said about Carly Fiorina in the debate, Gaze upon her visage. Would you vote for that visage? Were that voting extended to the distaff gender? Or about Mika Brzezinski? Her aspect was indeed ruddy. Or Hillary Clinton, not strictly about her face, but where... Her entire body should have resided. Consign her with the noisy and rebald dregs of the penitentiary, and the whole Republican National Convention chants, "Consign her with the noisy and rebald dregs of the penitentiary." It's all good. It's all good that hitherto arcane vocabulary words are now known. That we're elevating the discourse as we cut out the legs of an actual solution. It's all fun, all funny games until champignon nebula, which is a fancy way of saying mushroom cloud. On the show today, I spiel about John McCain. John McCain, he keeps delivering. The guy knows drama. But first, let us sequester ourselves away to the year 2007. Not only has the Obama era not yet dawned, no one made fun of you for having an AOL email account. But it's not the politics or the technology we're interested in. It's the music. The number one hits of 2007, Chris Malamphy counts them down. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130, that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Let me take, let's venture back to 2007. Very different time. The U.S. was at war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Oh, wait, that's... Going on still. But in 2007, Barack Obama announced that he'd like to run for president. And America said, yeah, right. <laughs> Barack Hussein Obama. Also, on the top of the charts, well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. The number one hit singles of 2007. And joining me, as always, is Chris Malamphy. He's the impresario behind the Slate <laughs> Podcast. Yes, he leans into the title Impresario, the Slate Podcast Hit Parade, where he takes a song or maybe a little trend of songs and really uh, explicates an. Am I, am I using the word eps, explicates correctly? I think so. Okay. Chris Chris will allow it. Hello, Chris. Thanks for coming in. Thank
0: you, Mike. And thank you for the kind words. I
1: appreciate it. Let's go back a decade. Yep. Let's talk about who was number one, who was riding high. And uh, the, the year starts off with, I think, the biggest single of the year. Yes. The most irreplaceable single. Oh, wait. It's irreplaceable by Beyonce. I'm not
0: Right. So this is uh, Beyoncé's uh, Irreplaceable. Uh, this is the number one song of 2007. It spends 10 weeks at number one. It actually started its run at number one in 2006. I want to say this is peak pop Beyoncé because obviously we're still living in Beyoncé's world a decade mm-hmm. later. In fact, one of the things I'd like to talk about with this rundown is how many of these artists have had surprisingly long legs and are still you know, affecting the charts even 10 years later. But Beyoncé has moved into... A more album oriented direction. She's not, uh, you know, scoring big radio hits, whereas in the 2000s, she was, you know, the premier pop. Dominating demigoddess. Uh, it's got. It's an interesting hybrid record because it's it's clearly an R and B ballad, but it's got acoustic guitar strums and uh, it kind of sits in this mid tempo pocket. And it's 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 torchy, but also kind of poppy at the same time.
1: Was it trying to do something that she hadn't done with Destiny's Child? Was it trying to position her in any way? You can
0: hear bones of this in Destiny's Child previously. Like they did a cover of uh, the old Samantha Sang song "Emotion" when they were still together. That uh, I thought sounded like a like a dry run for Irreplaceable. But but yeah, within her solo career, there's a lot of interesting variants. Even in the first few albums of Beyonce's solo career, she she does everything from dance hall records to you know harder hip-hop-oriented records to, again, something like this, which is
1: in more of a, an acoustic pop uh, pocket. Well, Akon is number next, Don't Matter. Nobody wanna see us
0: together, but it don't matter, no. Yeah, and Akon's another good example of of somebody who's hybridizing R and B and hip hop. He's primarily a singer, right? But yeah. you know, he teams up with with A range of rappers Uh, Akon interestingly is a Senegalese R&B singer he's he's African I often say that if you could design in a lab a global artist for the 21st century you would probably design Akon because he kind of raps he definitely sings he's from a foreign country he's really he's handsome he's interesting looking he he can produce he he later helps discover believe it or not Lady Gaga the first Lady Gaga album The Fame was co-released on his Convict album, uh, and he has a hand in her breakthrough a year and a half later.
1: Avril Lavigne shows up, Girlfriend.
0: Yeah, interestingly, it's her only number one hit, which might really? surprise people. Yes, it does surprise me. No
1: way, no way, it's not secret Hey, hey, yeah, yeah, I want to be your girlfriend You're so fine, I want you mine, so delicious
0: Here's why it surprises people, because frankly, she's better remembered for a hit from five years earlier called Complicated, which had the misfortune to peak at number two so complicated arguably probably a bigger hit but uh, girlfriend is uh, her first and only number one hit here's why it's historically important it's the first number one hit for a producer named Dr. Luke who will go on to then dominate the next five six seven years of of hits Uh, he had scored a big breakthrough the year before with the number two hit since you've been gone for Kelly Clarkson uh, actually two years earlier and he is just starting to emerge as his own entity the following year 2000 He's going to score hits with Pink and with Katy Perry, but Girlfriend is his first number one hit, and it's it's an interesting record that, just like prior Avril Lavigne records, is nominally a pop punk record, but it's really just a bratty pop record, mm-hmm. uh, which you know it's it's a transitional record for for both her and for Doctor Luke.
1: Remember in the 1982 discussion, mm-hmm. we talked about uh, Mickey and songs that were clearly influenced by cheerleader chants? This is this is of that ilk, I Absolutely, believe.
0: absolutely. You know, this is a descendant of Mickey, girlfriend all the way.
1: We're about to get to not only the Song of the Summer, but th- I think this was the song that first m- got me thinking about the concept of Song of the Summer. That's a tease for Umbrella. But here's a song I definitely don't remember. Buy you a drink, shawty snappin'. Cussing.
0: What you should note about Buy You a Drink, and if you don't remember it, is uh, its artist, Mm -hmm. T-Pain. T-Pain is one of the most influential artists of 2007. He is the man behind Auto-Tune. He is not the inventor of auto-tune, but he is the guy who turned auto-tune into a hip-hop medium, if you will. He's the one who played auto-tune as if it were an instrument. The thing about T-Pain is that he's not even really a rapper. He's a singer, but he hangs out with rappers, and and his songs had a certain hip-hop cred because he was doing something novel and unique. He's really using auto-tune as an instrument and sort of changing the sound of of big-hit hip-hop records in 2007.
1: So we get to Umbrella, Song of the Summer. I was there a concept of Song of the Summer much before 2007? You know, I had to
0: do an article about this for Slate a few years ago yeah. in which I actually I even did a, a bit of a Nexus Lexus search to, to see how often the phrase Song of the Summer came up before the two thousands. But you're definitely right that Umbrella by Rihanna featuring Jay-Z, when you say to people, what does a song of the summer sound like? This is a song that people will frequently name check. Then It has an amazing sound. It was written by kind of a a dream team of of R&B and hip-hop producers, including a man who goes by the name The Dream, uh, Tricky Stewart. These are people who've all recorded records for folks like Beyonce before. Um, And it leads off with this amazing hi-hat sample, which Tricky Stewart got out of, I swear to God, GarageBand, the free Apple software. (laughs) He he was playing around with a a hi-hat that... you know that that leads off the record and he was looping it and uh the dream heard that and said that's amazing we should build a record out of that and the whole thing came out of that and uh the opening rap by jay-z jay-z speaking of people who get featured on a lot of records he's he's done featured raps on everyone from you know his wife beyonce to you know mariah carey but his feature on uh at the beginning of Umbrella, he doesn't actually rap much beyond the beginning of Umbrella, but it's a fantastic lead and it's almost like a fanfare. You, you feel like you're walking into a stadium when the when the record kicks off.
1: Hey there, Delilah by The Plain White Tees. Uh, I think this would count as a one-hit wonder, yeah? They are They're not- a working band, but... I don't know any of their They own, like, had
0: a couple of follow-up singles. hits afterward, including a, a hit about a year and a half later called One, Two, Three, Four. So they were definitely able to parlay okay. this into future hits, but you're definitely right that nothing they've released is as big as Hey There, Delilah.
1: Hey there, Delilah, what's it like in New York City? I'm a thousand miles away, but girl, tonight you look so pretty. Yes, you do. What I find
0: interesting about Hey There, Delilah, is that um, only two years earlier, Billboard had added uh, digital song sales to the Hot 100, which changed the methodology. You know, iTunes, the iTunes Music Store had only opened in 2003, and it took Billboard a couple of years to start adding digital sales to the charts. reason why that's important is it's you start to see a change in the kinds of records that can go viral and become hits. For this very gentle, plaintive acoustic ballad to reach number one, It definitely got there through, you know, word of mouth and a gradual build and
1: sales on iTunes. The next huge song, which is on the charts, uh, Kanye West shows up for a week in September, but it's on the charts from from September to November, is Crank That, Soldier Boy by... I thought by Soldier Boy but it's actually credited to Soldier Boy Tell 'em. I guess that's
0: Yeah. His name. <laughs> I've never fully known what to call Soldier Boy because yeah. yes technically his albums are often I think always credited to Soldier Boy Tell 'em but That's
1: like the nobody beats the wiz of uh, It's the
0: nobody beats the wiz of titles. That's a brilliant <laughs> way of putting it. Yes, that's exactly right. But everybody calls him Soldier Boy. Soldier
1: Boy I'm in it. Oh. Why me crank it why me roll? Why me crank that Soldier Boy is Superman all. That- oh.
0: Let's give Soldier Boy credit. This record, first of all, it wasn't even his last top 10 hit. Believe it or not, he scored a couple more hits. But it may be one of the most forward-looking, prescient number one hits of 2007. It is a song that basically exploded because of YouTube. Remember, in 2007, YouTube is all of two years old. It's got a dance phenomenon. It went totally viral. Forget about something like Plain White Tees by, you know, Hey There, Delilah by Plain White Tees. This is a record that absolutely went to number one because kids saw the music video, they wanted to imitate the dance, and then they went and they bought the song. It was it was not a natural fit for radio at all. Radio had to kind of follow in the wake of people who were buying and buying and buying this record on iTunes.
1: Uh, like I said, Kanye West is in there with Stronger.
0: Yeah, this is... Uh, only a one week number one for Kanye but kind of an important one let's also
1: yeah. memorable song
0: again one of the themes a lot of these records surprisingly long legs in the sense that Kanye West basically helps kick off the comeback in Daft punk's career
1: I need you to hurry up man can't wait much longer i know i got to be right now because i can't get much stronger man i've been waiting all night now. that's how long i've
0: been on yeah. stronger is based around a daft punk song from six years earlier not even that old a record a record from their 2001 album discovery called harder better faster stronger he takes that which was kind of a a, a high um you know more upbeat dance record slows it down slightly, turns it a little darker, a little more minor key and wraps over it and basically gives the guys in Daft Punk their first credit on a number one record. Obviously, they'll come back in the 2010s with songs like Get Lucky and their collaborations with The Weeknd, but this is a big pop uh, breakthrough for Daft Punk at a moment when EDM is just starting to make its big foray on the charts. EDM is going to come to dominate the charts in the early 2010s, but in 2007... Yet again, let's, you know, give the guy his props. Kanye West is ahead of the curve.
1: All right. This is my favorite part of the show. It's the zeitgeist moment where we go and we talk about what do all these songs have in common? I mean, I'm it's really clear what genre is uh, dominating 2007, R&B and hip-hop. But what beyond that can we glean from these number one hits? I mean, there
0: were two reasons why—well, besides the fact that 2007 is 10 years ago, there were a couple of reasons why I wanted to focus on 2007— First of all, as I've noted, surprisingly, you you look at some of these hits and not all of them are terribly memorable, some more memorable than others. Certainly, you've got some classics here like Umbrella, but a a lot of these artists continue to have hits deep into the 2010s. We're still scoring hits by Maroon 5. We're obviously still scoring hits by Rihanna and Beyonce. Um, You know, Soldier Boy, he may not have scored many more hits, but... The phenomenon of the, you know, dance-oriented viral video that then spawns a hit. You know, we're still seeing that to this day. We we had uh hits with uh Black Beatles uh by Ray Sremmer just this last fall that was uh inspired by the Mannequin Challenge. You could look at Soldier Boy's hit from ten years ago and see the 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 bones of what would become something like the mannequin challenge. You're seeing a lot of trends that would pay off later. You're seeing Kanye West scoring a number one hit with Daft Punk that, you know, Daft Punk would become one of the, the bigger acts of the 2010s. And despite the fact that hip hop and R&B are dominant, what you're now seeing is the pivot moment when a record can go viral in a way that it couldn't before, thanks to digital sales. And so whether it's an R&B or hip hop record like Soldier Boy's or it's a record like uh, Hey There, Delilah by Plain White Tees, a really left field, you know, acoustic pop record, it's now possible to score a hit through digital word of mouth, just as social media is starting to become huge. Remember, they're starting to open up Facebook to all audiences around 2007, 2008. That's what's interesting about 2007 is you're you're starting to see the moment when the radio is not the dominant way that hits become hits anymore. and, And now the social aspect, the digital aspect is starting to take hold.
1: Chris Malamfy writes the Why Is This Song Number 1 column for Slate. And he's the guy behind the Hit Parade, the Slate podcast that takes a song, or maybe a couple songs, tells you everything you ever wanted to know about him. Thank you, Chris. Anytime, Mike. And now the spiel. Is John McCain great or what? I love the guy. You know what you need to be an American hero, he points out? You need this. A little honesty. Not total, just some. A little bit of consistency. Not 100%, but no glaring hypocrisies. An understanding of the importance of process and a willingness to buck convention. That is it. McCain is going to vote against Graham Cassidy. Notice what I didn't list there in What You Need to Be a Hero. I didn't say liberalism because there was nothing liberal in McCain's decision. Think about it. He never has articulated one substantive criticism of the results that a bill like Graham Cassidy or any of the other anti-Obamacare, anti-ACA bills would bring about. He has just said all along, consistency, that we should work under regular order, process. And he didn't pull a 180 from what he said last time. He's not a hypocrite. And he didn't care about the objections of the members of his own party who aren't as intellectually consistent as he is. John McCain is against Obamacare. Make no mistake. He's not a Democrat. And he shouldn't be a hero to Democrats in that regard. In fact, all the Republicans who we think might one day stand up to Trump, Ben Sass, Lindsey Graham, John McCain, they're all really Republicans. They're all conservative. They're all quite conservative. And that's fine. If they have an honest ideology and if they don't twist the process because, quote unquote, the Democrats did it too, then that's fine. There was nothing liberal about John McCain killing his friend Lindsey Graham's bill. I hope he killed it. In fact, you could argue it was a fundamentally conservative act, an unradical action that sought to restore usual norms and means, a wielding of power to act cautiously as an agent of the government when you're affecting people's lives. Oh, yeah. He is also preserving and conserving the power of the institution of the Senate. Everything about that is conservative. He is a hero. Maybe it is not as hard for John McCain to stand up to the Republican establishment as it would be for some other politicians. I mean, when you stand up to the torturers in the Hanoi Hilton, Mitch McConnell, ooh, Jim DeMint's going to write an op-ed. Oh my God. What do I do about that? The Viet Cong bayoneted me. Of my four limbs, three were broken and they kept breaking them again and again. Oh, wait, what's that? Grover Norquist will give me a D minus rating. I'll think about that. But you think about this. They hung me from a meat hook, which reminds me, John McCain was once a maverick, celebrated on the left and right as a maverick. And now he's a maverick again. But remember for a time there in the middle, he was pretty pilloried by the left. Pillory, not an actual torture he experienced, but it could have been. John Stewart was really rough on McCain. On policy, that's fine. McCain took conservative stances, was a big cheerleader for all of our foreign endeavors, always has been a military interventionalist. But I got the sense that Jon Stewart and other liberals felt like they had been betrayed, personally wronged. But John McCain's really been consistent for a long time. Sarah Palin was a nightmare pick, that is true. But whenever I saw analysis, like this headline in uh, the blog Blue Mass Group... Stop letting John McCain off the hook. This was a couple months ago. And they wrote, Why does he get a pass again for voting for Trump care? Stop letting John McCain off the hook. He's about to jettison his vaunted independence exactly when he always does when he votes in the Senate or this headline from the liberal watchdog group Media Matters criticizing CNN's Chris Cuomo for not pressing McCain hard enough on the Bo Bergdahl prison exchange. The headline was CNN lets John McCain off the hook for shifting support of prisoner exchange. John McCain was literally on a hook. He was literally put on a hook as a means of torture. Can we cool it? with the accusation that we're letting him off the hook. Different idiom, all I'm saying. You know what? had another thought. Maybe McCain's friend, Lindsey Graham, sponsored the bill in the first place as a present to his friend John, as a gift so that McCain would get one last chance to be the maverick at center stage. McCain has an aggressive form of cancer... And maybe he just needed, as a pick-me-up, another chance to stick it to the guy in the Oval Office who said, I like heroes who haven't been captured. Am I suggesting it was kind of a senatorial make-a-wish program? No, that is horribly insensitive. And I hope John McCain sticks around to affect politics and policy for a long time. I really do. Also, I hope the junior senator from Arizona, Jeff Flake, who is another principled conservative, beats back his Trump primed primary challengers, beats them with abandon. So good job. Now let's get to the nightmare of income tax reform, which is certainly not going to be a reform. It'll probably just be a tax cut for rich guys rushed through the Senate. And John McCain's fellow Republicans can thank John McCain for that too. A dumb Republican tax cut. That is their very DNA. And John McCain has just bought you the time to concentrate on getting that done. You could thank him, when you pass them in the halls as you're cursing him. And that's it for today's show that just was produced by Dan Schrader, who notes that buy you a drink should probably be bought you a drink. Although, let's think about this. If you drank your drink, would you get drunk or immediately would you become hungover? You know, just going by the past tense and all. Mary Wilson also produces the Gist. She plans to hydroplane into fame or inevitably destruction. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate podcasts, is well past tense over the possibility of his ever paying the bills with this guitar girl. The Gist. All right, let's do some. Let's do some Kanye West analysis. You ready? You know how long I've been on ya since Prince was on Apollonia, huh? since O.J. had Isotoners. toners. I mean, I think I could beat that rhyme. Here we go. You know how long I've been on ya? Since Prince was on Apollonia. Since Nancy Kerrigan thought she beat Tanya. Huh? Huh? Don't hand me the Grammy just yet. I just pawn ya. de depuru dupuru, and thanks for listening.